Section 5 of Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Caron, Hamlake, Minnesota. Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Part 2. Section 5. Chapters 19 through 24. Chapter 19. About this time, the illustrious soldier, Piero Strozzi, arrived in France, and reminded the king that he had promised him letters of naturalization. These were accordingly made out, and at the same time the king said, Let them be also given to Benvenuto Monami, and take them immediately to his house, and let him have them without the payment of any fees. Those of the great Strozzi cost him several hundred ducats. Mine were brought to me by one of the king's chief secretaries, Messer Antonio Masson. This gentleman presented them with many expressions of kindness from his majesty, saying, The king makes you a gift of these, in order that you may be encouraged to serve him. They are letters of naturalization. Then he told me how they had been given to Piero Strozzi, at his particular request, and only after a long time of waiting, as a special mark of favor, the king had sent mine of his own accord, and such an act of grace had never been heard of in that realm before. When I heard these words, I thanked his majesty with heartiness, but I begged the secretary to have the kindness to tell me what letters of naturalization meant. He was a man, accomplished and polite, who spoke Italian excellently. At first my question made him laugh. Then he recovered his gravity, and told me in my own language what the paper signified, adding that they conferred one of the highest dignities a foreigner could obtain. Indeed, it is a far greater honor than to be made a nobleman of Venice. When he left me, he returned and told his majesty, who laughed a while, and then said, Now I wish him to know my object in sending those letters of naturalization. Go and install him, lord of the castle of the little Nello, where he lives, and which is a part of my demence. He will know what it means better than he understood about the letters of naturalization. A messenger brought me the patent, upon which I wanted to give him a gratuity. He refused to accept it, saying that his majesty had so ordered these letters of naturalization, together with the patent for the castle, I brought with me, then I returned to Italy. Wherever I go, and wherever I may end my days, I shall endeavor to preserve them. Chapter 20 I shall now proceed with the narration of my life. I had on hand the following works already mentioned, namely the silver Jupiter, the golden salt cellar, the great silver vase, and the two bronze heads. I also began to cast the pedestal for Jupiter, which I wrought very richly in bronze, covered with ornaments, among which was a bas-relief representing the rape of Ganymede, and on the other side, Leda and the Swan. On casting this piece, it came out admirably. I also made another pedestal of the same sort for the statute of Juno, intending to begin that too. If the king gave me silver for that purpose, by working briskly, I had put together the silver Jupiter and the golden salt cellar. The vase was far advanced. The two bronze heads were finished. I had also made several little things for the Cardinal Ferrera, and a small silver vase of rich workmanship, which I meant to present to Madame de Etampes, several Italian noblemen, the wit, Signor Piero Strozzi, the Count of Angulara, the Count of Pizzaglanio, the Count of Mirandola, and many others, gave me employment also. For my great king, as I have said, 
I had been working strenuously, and the third day after he returned to Paris, he came to my house, attended by a crowd of his chief nobles. He marveled to find how many pieces I had advanced, and with what excellent results his mistress, Madame de Tampes, being with him, they began to talk of Fontainebleau. She told his majesty he ought to commission me to execute something beautiful for the decoration of his favorite residence. He answered on the instant, You may well, and here upon the spot, I will make up my mind what I mean him to do. Then he turned to me, and asked me what I thought would be appropriate for that beautiful fountain. I suggested several ideas, and his majesty expressed his own opinion. Afterwards he said that he was going to spend fifteen or twenty days at San Germano del Aia, a place twelve leagues distant from Paris. During his absence he wished me to make a model for that fair fountain, of his in the richest style I could invent, seeing he delighted in that residence more than in anything else in this whole realm. Accordingly he commanded and besought me to do my utmost to produce something really beautiful, and I promised that I would do so. When the king saw so many finished things before him, he exclaimed to Madame de Atampas, I never had an artist who pleased me more, nor one who deserved better, to be well rewarded. We must contrive to keep him with us. He spends freely, is a boon companion, and works hard. We must therefore take good thought for him. Only think, madam, all the times that he has come to me, or that I have come to him. He has never once asked for anything. One can see that his heart is entirely devoted to his work. We ought to make a point of doing something for him quickly, else we run a risk of losing him. Madame de Tampes answered, I will be sure to remind you. Then they departed, and in addition to the things I had begun, I now took the model of the fountain in hand, at which I worked ediously. Chapter 21 At the end of a month, and a half the king returned to Paris, and I, who had been working day and night, went to present myself before him, taking my model so well blocked out that my intention could be clearly understood. Just about that time, the devilries of war between the emperor and king had been stirred up again, so that I found him much harassed by anxieties. I spoke, however, with the cardinal of Ferrara, saying I had brought some models which his majesty had adored, and begging him, if he found an opportunity, to put in a word whereby I might be able to exhibit them. The king, I thought, would take much pleasure in their sight. This the cardinal did, and no sooner had he spoken of the models than the king came to the place where I had sent them up. The first of these was intended for the door of the palace at Fontainebleau. I had been obliged to make some alterations in the architecture of this door, which was wide and low in their vicious French style. The opening was very nearly square, and above it was a hemicycle, flattened like the handle of a basket. Here the king wanted a figure, placed to represent the genius of Fontainebleau. I corrected the proportions of the doorway, and placed above it an exact half-circle at the sides. I introduced projections with scodes and cornices properly corresponding. Then, instead of the columns demanded by this disposition of parts, I fashioned two satyrs, one upon each side. The first of these was in somewhat more than half-relief, lifting one hand to support the cornice and holding a thick club in the other. His face was fiery and menacing, instilling fear into the beholders. The other had the same posture of support, but I varied his features and some other details. In his hand, for instance, he held a lash with three balls attached to chains. Though I call them satyrs, they show nothing of the satyr, except little horns and a goatish head, 
all the rest of their form was human in the lunette above i placed a female figure lying in an attitude of noble grace she rested her left arm on a stag's neck the animal being one of the king's emblems on one side i worked little fawns in half relief with some wild boars and other game in lower relief on the other side were hounds and divers hogs of the chase of several species such as may be seen in that fair forest where the fountain springs the whole of this composition was enclosed in an oblong each angle of which obtained a victory in bas relief holding torches after the manner of the ancients above the oblong was a salamander the king's particular device with many other ornaments appropriate to the ionic architecture of the whole design chapter twenty two when the king had seen this model it restored him to cheerfulness and distracted his mind from the fatiguing debates he had been holding during the past two hours seeing him cheerful as i wished i uncovered the other model which he was far from expecting since he not unreasonably judged that the first had worked in it enough this one was a little higher than two cubits it figured a fountain shaped in a perfect square with handsome steps all round intersecting each other in a way which was unknown in france as indeed very uncommon in italy the middle of the fountain i set a pedestal projecting somewhat above the margin of the basin and upon this a nude male figure of the right proportion to the whole design and of a very graceful form in his right hand he raised a broken lance on high he left hand rested on a scimitar he was poised upon the left foot and right being supported by a helmet of the richest imaginable workmanship at each of the four angles of the fountain a figure was sitting raised above the level of the base and accompanied by many beautiful and appropriate emblems the king began by asking me what i meant to represent by the fine fancy i had embodied in this design saying that he understood the door without explanation but that he could not take the conception of my fountain although it seemed to him most beautiful at the same time he knew well that i was not like the foolish folk who turn out something with a kind of grace put no intention into their performances i then addressed myself to the task of exposition for having succeeded in pleasing him with my work i wanted him to be no less pleased with my discourse let me inform your sacred majesty i thus began that the whole of this model is so exactly made to scale that if it should come to being executed in large none of its grace and lightness will be sacrificed the figure in the middle is meant to stand fifty-four feet above the level of the ground at this announcement the king made a sign of purpose it is moreover intended to represent the god mars the other figures embody those arts and sciences in which your majesty takes pleasure and which you so generously patronize this one upon the right hand is designed for learning you will observe that the accompanying albums indicate philosophy and are attendant branches of knowledge by the next i wish to personify the whole art of design including sculpture painting and architecture the third is music which cannot be omitted from the sphere of intellectual culture that other which so gracious and benign a mean stands for generosity lacking which the mental gifts bestowed on us by god will not be brought to view i have attempted to portray your majesty your very self in the great central statue for you are truly a god mars the only brave upon this globe and all your bravery you use with justice and with piety in the defence of your own glory scarcely had he allowed me to finish this oration when he broke forth with a strong voice verily i found a man here after my own heart 
then he called the treasurers who were appointed for my supplies and told them to disperse whatever i required let the cost be what it might next he laid his hand upon my shoulder saying manami which is the same as my friend i know not whether the pleasure be greater for the prince who finds a man after his own heart or for the artist who finds a prince willing to furnish him with means for carrying out his great ideas i answered that if i was really the man his majesty described my good fortune was by far the greater he answered laughingly let us agree then that our luck is equal then i departed in the highest spirits and went back to my work chapter twenty three my ill luck willed that i was not wide awake enough to play the light comedy with madame d'etampes that evening when she heard the whole course of events from the king's own lips it bred such poisonous fury in her breast that she exclaimed with anger if benvenuto had shown me those fine things of his he would have given me some reason to be mindful of him at the proper moment the king sought to excuse me but he made no impression on her temper being informed of what had passed i waited fifteen days during which they made a tour through normandy visiting rouen and dieppe then when they returned to s german and laie i took the handsome little vase which i made at the request of madame d'etampes hoping if i gave it to her to recover the favour i had lost with this in my hand then i announced my presence to her nurse and showed the gift which i brought her mistress the woman received me with demonstrations of good will and said that she would speak a word to madame who was still engaged upon her toilette i should be admitted on the instant when she had discharged her embassy the nurse made her report in full to madame who retorted scornfully tell him to wait on hearing this i clothed myself with patience which all of things i find the most difficult nevertheless i kept myself under control until the hour for dinner was past then seeing what time dragged on and being maddened by hunger i could no longer hold out but flung off sending her most devoutly to the devil i next betook myself to the cardinal of lorraine and made him a present of the vase only petitioning his eminence to maintain me in the king's good graces he said there was no need for this and if there were need he would gladly speak for me then he called his treasurer and whispered a few words in his ear the treasurer waited till i took my leave of the cardinal after which he said to me benvenuto come with me and i will give you a glass of good wine to drink i answered not understanding what he meant for heaven's sake mr treasurer let me have but one glass of wine and a mouthful of bread for i am really fainting for want of food i have fasted since early this morning up to the present moment at the door of madame d'etampes i went to give her that fine piece of silver gilt plate and took pains that she would be informed of my intention but she with the mere pretty will to vex me bade me wait now i am famished and feel my forces failing and as god willed it i have bestowed my gift and labor upon one who is far more worthy of them i only crave of you something to drink for being rather too bilious by nature fast upsets me so that i run the risk now of falling from exhaustion to the earth while i was pumping out of these words with difficulty they brought some admirable wine and other delicacies for a hearty metal i refreshed myself and having recovered my vital spirits found that my exasperation had departed from me the good treasurer handed me a hundred crowns in gold i sturdily refused to accept them he reported this to the cardinal who swore at him and told him to make me take the money by force and not to show himself again till he had done so 
the treasurer returned much irritated saying that he had never been so scolded before by the cardinal but when he pressed the crowns upon me i still offered some resistance then quite angry he said he would use force to make me take them so i accepted the money when i wanted to thank the cardinal in person he sent word by one of his secretaries that he would gladly do me a service whenever the occasion offered i returned the same evening to paris the king heard the whole history and madame d'etampes was well laughed at in their company this increased her animosity against me and led to an attack upon my life of which i shall speak in the proper time and place chapter twenty four far back in my autobiography i ought to have recorded the friendship which i won with the most cultivated the most affectionate and the most companionable man of worth i ever knew in this world he was messer guido guti an able physician and doctor of medicine and a nobleman of florence the infinite troubles brought upon me by my evil fortune caused me to admit the mention of him at an earlier date and though my remembrance may be but a trifle i deemed it sufficient to keep him always in my heart yet finding that the drum of my life requires his presence i shall introduce him here at the moment of my greatest trials in order that as he was when my comfort and support i may now recall to memory the good he did me well then mr gudo came to paris and not long after making his acquaintance i took him to my castle and there he assigned him his own suite of apartments we enjoyed our lives together in that place for several years the bishop of pavia that is to say monsignor de rossi brother of the count of san segondo also arrived this gentleman i removed from his hotel and took him to my castle assigning him in like manner of his own suite of apartments where he is sojourned many months with serving men and horses on another occasion i lodged messer luigi alamani and his sons for some months it was indeed god's grace to me that i should thus in my poor station be able to render services to men of great position and acquirements but to return to messer gudo we enjoyed our mutual friendship during all the years i stayed in paris and often did we exult together on being able to advance in art and knowledge at the cost of that so great and admirable prince our patron each in his own branch of industry i can indeed and with good conscience affirm that all i am whatever of good and beautiful i have produced all this must be ascribed to that extraordinary monarch so then i will resume the thread of my discourse concerning him and the great things i wrought for him End of section five. Recording by Chris Curran, Ham Lake, Minnesota.